I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to an extra spooky episode of the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Frankenstein's monster. It's my Frankenstein. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Um, yeah, no, I'm actually brilliant, which is a complete lie. I feel terrible. Okay, good. We were at a <laughs> Halloween party last night, weren't you? What were you, what were you dressed up as? I was dressed up as Hopper from uh, Stranger Things, but just looked like a eighties porn star. Yeah, I didn't get that at any point. I've watched Stranger mm. Things in its entirety, and at no point did I put two and two together. I dressed as Doc Brown for Back to the Future. If you want to see it, it's on Twitter. On the show today, making his second tier debut is John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel Cherry's Red Army. John, how are you? I'm doing very good, thank you. How's it going with you two? Oh, superb. Thank you. Superb. Brilliant. Also with us is Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Johnny, how are you? Very well, guys. Very, very well. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I know you guys uh, aren't as perfect at the moment, but uh, yeah, I'm all good. Thanks. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm on go for most Sundays anyway, so I just fight for the <laughs> champ. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from the past weekend. Talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with the Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So Bournemouth continue to breeze past anyone who stands in their way. They one again on Saturday night, beating Reading 2-0. John, Reading did have a good few chances, didn't they? But when the first goal went in, I never really felt like Bournemouth weren't going to win. Were you the same? Yeah, um, I think I would agree with that. Um, there were definitely a couple of opportunities for Reading um, in the game. I think uh, Pushkas um, really seems to be completely out of form and confidence um, because you know one of his chances in particular really should have been easily nestled into the back of the net with a wonderful bit of skill with a Rabona assist from from John Swift um, on the line um, with one of Gary Cahill's few mistakes letting that one come through. But once the goal goes in, yeah, Bournemouth pretty much controlled the game for the last hour of the match. Um, the, the impressive thing, I think, about Bournemouth this game was Scott Parker's substitutions. I think Gavin Kilkenny wasn't having his best game. He got a yellow card early. He got taken off of then Pierce and shored us up, made sure we really stabilised that midfield. And even you've got Chris Meppo coming on at left back to replace um, John Zamora, who you know has only started one game in his actual centre-back position. He started three or four at right back. He comes on this game at left back. He's, he's our utility defender to shore things up quite brilliantly. And Travers only has one save to make the whole game, which was a good save, but we mostly just controlled the way the match went. Yeah, 
John's right, isn't he, Justin? Uh, Reading were quite unfortunate that their two best chances fell to George Puskas, who, when you talk about out-of-form strikers, he is right up there, isn't he? Yeah, he's not really been in form since his debut for Reading, I don't think. He's been he's been quite poor and obviously he's not scoring goals. What else is he offering? Not much. He had 16 touches in the game, which is an incredible amount for a player who plays with his back to goal at times. But yeah, you've got to ask, do Reading play to his strengths? Don't think they do. It's probably just not the right fit for, for him and Reading and they'll be looking forward to getting Lucas back in back into the side as soon as possible. Absolutely. Bournemouth have now had the joint best start to a championship season ever after 15 games. The other team had 37 points at this point, while Sheffield United in 05-06, they were promoted. Tricky question for you here, John. If there was going to be a reason why Bournemouth wouldn't get promoted this season, what do you think it would be? A massive injuries, I think, is probably the, the, the real biggest reason that could happen. I mean, today... Oh, I say today uh, in the in the game on Saturday night, there were a few players that sort of looked like they might be sort of carrying knocks. Zamora was taken off. Billing looked tired. Um, Cahill went down at one point. I think Kelly did the same. Um, so the the season may well take its toll at some point. That is the worry. Um, yeah, I mean, if if there is going to be a reason, it's not going to be because of a, of results other than losses at this rate, because of just how good we are at managing games and and our defensive record is is you know the most impressive thing i think but you know reading did test us and i think if a team had a better if if other teams want to come up against bournemouth and, and try and beat us they need to look at how reading completely went at us in the first half an hour and really stopped us from playing out the back we struggled quite a lot early on a lot of triangular passes that went nowhere a lot of long balls that weren't getting met reading like i said earlier could have gone two nil up with an informed striker and another team on another day could well do that to us again but you know, Bournemouth have only gone behind for six minutes so far this season. Um, so Sheffield United found out what it's like when they get us angry. So I don't know what uh, I don't really know what the uh, what's going to happen to stop us at this point. But um, it's a long season; we're only a third of the way through, so anything could happen. Yeah, well, going back to the stat I was just talking about a second ago, the joint best ever start in the Championship. Do we start talking about Reading's points record? I'm prepared for my Twitter mentions to be absolutely destroyed at this point. But, John, do you think Bournemouth are capable of doing that this season? 106 points? Well, at the moment, we're on course, I think, for 112 or 113 if we match this rate. But, you know, we've won our last nine out of the last 10. So, you know, this kind of form is is pretty ridiculous. Um, I think I think the first target would be to match Brighton's unbeaten record. Um, at the start of the season, which would be the sort of first hurdle. And from that point on, I don't know, Scott Parker doesn't come across a guy that really cares too much about the record. I mean, just, just in the way he, he he talks and the way he communicates, I think he's more concerned with just making sure that the players are improving and, and they actually perform on the day. And then, you know, the records will follow afterwards. I mean, we've got 11 hours without conceding away from home at the moment. Um, yeah, just just saying completely new records for Bournemouth as well. This is our best unbeaten start to a season ever, I think, in the club's history. Um, we've just beaten that, which was 14 last week we matched. So it, it could be anything. It really could be. But, um, you know, as long as we came second, I don't think anyone would really anyone in Bournemouth would really care. But the longer this kind of run continues, the more expectations are going to grow. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Middlesbrough ended a run of three straight wins by losing 2-0 at home to Birmingham. Johnny, tell us about the game. Oh, do I have to? Um, <laughs> it, it, was, uh, 
Look, it was a, a game which was quite frustrating. Uh, not many clear-cut chances on, on Boris' perspective. Two defensive errors, which just gave Birmingham the win. Um, and it was rightly so. Really. I thought Birmingham were, were better, uh, with, better with the ball when they had it. And Boris were just poor in the moments and didn't deserve anything from the game, really. Mm. Joe Longley had a bit of a mare in the Middlesbrough goal, didn't he? I, I did see on your Twitter that fans were giving him a bit of jet, weren't they? A bit, yeah. I mean, when when you're a goalkeeper, you can make a hundred saves, and no one mentions it. And then when you make one, it's uh, everyone remembers that one, don't they? So it's a bit harsh for him, really. I think that he's he's made some really good saves this season at times, and he's kept us in games. And of course, he, he made that a couple of errors yesterday, and I think he got rightly, you know, criticised by fans who are right to to criticise a player if, if they make a mistake like that. But look, Bora had get, Bora had the chance had the chances at times yesterday. We played very narrow against a team that is very in, compact, and it was just screaming for a team or for for Middlesbrough to try and expand the game, use the widths, really stretch Birmingham because uh, you had George Friend on one side to. His legs are starting to go, so you thought maybe put his eye at Jones there, but we opted to play inverted wingers, um, and I think that was probably more of a, a more of a reason why Borough lost than just the mistakes alone. I think. Hmm. Last time we spoke, Johnny, we were talking about Neil Warnock's future and whether he mm-hmm. should stay in a job, considering he's almost certainly not going to be at Borough next season, is he? I'm guessing winning three games in a row kind of subsided that, and if it didn't. How intense could that pressure be, considering you've got a tricky week coming up, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. The, the three teams that we beat, we played three very, very poor sides. No disrespect to Peter Brabanzi or Cardiff, but they were all bang out of form. They've all been very, very poor. Uh, Middlesbrough, if you, I pulled, we seen a stat the other day that Middlesbrough have played five, five teams in the top half and haven't won against any of them, drawn two, lost three. And then the bottom half, we've we've won six, uh, drawn one, lost. I think it's four or three, maybe. Can't remember. Top of my head, just top mm. a quick must just kill me. But um, we haven't beat anyone who is above sixteenth, um, and we're a team that is quite underwhelming at times. You know, but we do have a lot of quality. This team, I'm I'm very optimistic with. We've got a really good crop of players, and just at this moment in time, we're just quite un- we're really inconsistent and. If we don't get anything this week, of course, the pressure's going to be on Warnock. You know, he's, he had a 28% win rate in 2021 until last week. So, I mean, the pressure's on, isn't it? The pressure's on. And if, if we're not going to compete towards the top six, then what's the point in him being here, do you know? Yeah. So what are you thinking? Get, let's get your personal opinion. Are you Warnock out? You know, <laughs> I, I, I suppose you can't really sack him we, now we, after we, that we, decent run. Yeah, we, we've spoke previously, haven't we, around Warnock's position. And in, in my opinion... I. I would be Warnock out. I think that he, although he's a fantastic manager and done everything in the game, Middlesbrough are moving in a different direction as a club. You know, we've bringing ahead of football and Kieran Scott now. We're bringing in younger players like Martin Pajero. You've got Tav, who's coming through at 22, Isaiah Jones, um, who is very young as well at 21, 22. And we, we look to have a, a team here which doesn't really blend well with Neil Warnock's style of football. Um, if Warnock was to go, I think a very good manager to bring in would be Alex Neil. I think Alex Neil would be a perfect fit for Bora at this time. Interesting. Quick word on Birmingham, Justin, who made it two wins from two. Are you liking what you're seeing from Blues after a dodgy run a week or two ago? 
Yeah, definitely. You look at uh, the past, uh, I think, eight games without a win, it was, um, and, and seven games without a goal. The only thing missing from that Birmingham side was putting chances away. Um, now they're being more clinical. They're, they're starting to get ahead of teams. They're winning games and they're seeing it out. They defend well. Um, they're quite organised, quite compact, as, as Johnny pointed out. And they did the business at the other end of the pitch. That's all you can ask for. So if they carry that on, then I don't see why they can't climb the table. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John and Johnny, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to play a little game we like to call Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But now me and Justin are going to go on a trip around the grounds and we shall begin with a massive game at Crome Cottage between Fulham and West Brom, which ended up being a bit of a rout as Fulham won 3-0. Matt Brocklair is from the Fulham Focus podcast and in the grand scheme of things, this could be a massive result, couldn't it, Matt? Yeah, it's, it is a big result and it isn't. I mean, it's still quite early in the season. What are we, uh, 15 games in? So almost a third of the way through the season. But to dispose of the team that are one place below you in, in such emphatic style without really playing that well. I mean, West Brom were the architects of their own downfall, really, weren't they? OK, it wasn't a penalty. Shouldn't have been a penalty. Mitrovic even said it wasn't a penalty afterwards in not so many words. Um, but... You know, the, the back pass was just dreadful from West Brom and their defending at times was comical. Um, but three points is three points at this stage. Yeah, how are fans feeling with everything at the moment? I think many were expecting to be in the promotion battle this season and that's on course at the moment, isn't it? Um, and also, how are fans feeling about Marco Silva and, and the way he's managing the team? I think aside from the, the two blips that we've had against Coventry and against Blackpool... We've been, we've been pretty good this season. We, uh, we lost to Reading as well, but that was a game where on another day we, we probably would have won that quite comfortably with the chances that we, we missed. But you've got to say that to, to be in the form we're in and to be in the position we're in at this stage, as I say, a, a third of the way through the season now, it's, um, it's pretty good. You know, we're, we, we're trying to chase Bournemouth down, but there's plenty of time for that yet. As long as we establish ourselves in those automatic places, which we're beginning to do now, I think, then then everyone's going to be happy. And yeah, Marco Silva's fantastic. He came over to the to the supporters at the end of the game against West Brom and, and clapped. And Boa Morse came over and did the same. We've obviously got a very good relationship with Boa Morse from his playing days as well. But yeah, the management of... I couldn't have asked much more from them, to be honest. It's not just the fact that we're winning games, but you know we're, we're playing decent football as well. And it's exciting and good to watch. Yeah, and we've got to talk about that man, Alexander Mitrovic, haven't we? Got another hat-trick here and he's now mathematically on course to get 55 goals this season. Not sure he's going to get that much, but nonetheless, can you just explain for us why it didn't work out in the Premier League for him last season? Because he's clearly too good for the Championship, isn't he? We absolutely love Mitrovic, obviously. He's an absolute goal machine at this level. His 18 goals he's got, he's, he's scored more goals than something like 10 other championship teams this season have got in total. So it's just an absolutely crazy stat. And he scores all sorts of goals as well. He's great in the air. He's great in the box. He can score from distance. And just recently, teams have just been gifting him goals. The, the goal that, um, that Forrest gifted him last week when two defenders ran into each other, the goal yesterday that Snodgrass you know, passed back to the goalkeeper and didn't see him there. He's just an outstanding player. And I don't know, I can't, I can't see him getting that many goals this season, but it's got to be mid-30s, hasn't it, at this point? Um, why didn't it work out last season? There was obviously something going on with Scott Parker because Scott Parker just didn't play him and played even Caballero. 
up front instead of him. And Caviero is almost a squad player this season. So it's it's just a very bizarre situation um, last season it was. Um, and... And yeah, I, I don't know, the, the world's his oyster at the moment. Will it work out for him in the Premier League? Well, when, even when he did play um, a few years ago in 18-19, in he only got 11. It's all down to the service, it's all down to the better defending, but at this level, certainly, he's absolutely prolific, isn't he? Thank you, Matt. Yeah, quite often, just in these games, these big games fizzle out into a bit of a damp squib, don't they? But this certainly didn't. Not for the reasons we were expecting, though, because Fulham was simply a lot better than West Brom, weren't they? <laughs> They were, I mean, they, they were helped with some of the decisions, but they were a lot better than West Brom, as you, as you quite rightly say. They were better in possession. They were better in the final third. They were clearly more clinical. It obviously helps if you've got one of the best strikers a championship has ever seen. But you, you're quite right. They were just a step ahead of West Brom in this game. They were brilliant. Yeah, they absolutely were. And I was absolutely startled at how bang average West Brom looked, especially considering if you put the two squads side by side, then... They're very even, aren't they? But if you didn't know any better, then you'd be forgiven for thinking this was a top team playing against a bottom half side. They were just so poor. And now my thinking is that West Brom will do well to keep up with Bournemouth and Fulham as the season goes on. Because it goes back to what I was saying a couple of weeks ago, that Bournemouth and Fulham have dominated the vast majority of games they've played. West Brom have only done it sometimes, but not nearly as many times as the other two. So... um, we were saying in the last international break that we could see it being a three-horse race for promotion. If you ask me right now, then it would surprise me to see... Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, rather, to see Bournemouth and Fulham just run off while West Brom are kind of in this bracket where they're too good for the other teams but not good enough to be um, in the top two, if you know what I mean. It's probably... Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but it's probably a bit too early to start... I mean, West Brom were they, they had a, they had a bad day against Fulham. Fulham made them look average as well. But we've seen Fulham step off. The only team we haven't seen step off so far is Bournemouth. And obviously, Fulham have had off days. West Brom have had a couple of off days. They've been a bit more. But what um, I'm saying is, West Brom have had more off days. Yeah, Fulham, no, that, Fulham that, and Bournemouth have looked like promoted. They've looked like hmm. promotion material, whereas West Brom that, haven't really. Yeah, that, that's that's what I was going to get onto. Like, obviously, West West Brom have had have had more off days, but they've got time to work it out. Um, they've got plenty of time to work it out. It's just whether or not, like you said, Fulham and uh, Bournemouth run away before they before they finally start to click. Yeah, going back to the game, it is worth pointing out a man was sent off for each side. Probably should have been another one after Robert Snodgrass forearm smashed Anthony Robinson in the <laughs> face. That was that was the biggest red card out of all three incidents. I'm not sure how that one yeah. was the red card and the others were. Um, Alexander Mitrovic got a hat-trick. He's now on 18 goals from 15 games. He's mathematically on course to get 55 goals this season, Justin. Probably a bit too high of an expectation for him, but... Is it? Ivan Tony. Well, Ivan Tony's record of 31 goals in a season, I'd say that's the minimum expectation for him now, isn't it? He just needs 13 more goals, and 18 and 15 is just a ridiculous ratio. It's, it's, it's mad. I, I don't know how it's physically possible, but he's, he's, he's doing it. Um, the Championship is a very hard league to play in. You've got Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and Mitrovic being able to play as consistently as he is and put away chances as consistently as he is. Is, is staggering and uh, it's quite I've said it before it's just quite scary for the rest of the league 
Oh, massively. Cardiff came from 3-0 down to draw 3 all with Stoke. They nearly got four, but Mark Harris's goal was rightly ruled out for offside right at the end. Uh, but a crazy first game in charge for Cardiff caretaker boss Steve Morrison. For Stoke, it's one point from four games. Ben Rowley is from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. What was it like being a Stoke fan at this game, Ben? Yeah, I was really hoping that you go to the Cardiff end for this one, to be honest with you, mate. Um, heading into the game, I think a lot of Stoke fans saw this as not a must-win game, but a chance to right some wrongs. And, I mean, in the first half, we weren't scintillating, but we did that. I mean, we were 3-0 just after half-time, a couple of minutes into the second half. And, to be honest, Cardiff looked dreadful. It's one of the worst teams I've ever seen down there, and they looked so unmotivated, so unskilled, they were awful. And then the first goal went in and I thought, you know what, if they score another two, then fair play to them. And they did score the other two. And that's the first time I've wanted to leave a Stoke game early in 10 years. I was out of my seat once they scored their fourth that was taken out for offside. And I, it was utter capitulation and I'm genuinely very, very embarrassed and ashamed this morning. The rage has passed. I'm just really upset. Yeah, it's only one point from four games now for Stoke. So what's gone wrong recently, considering you were looking brilliant earlier in the season? You know what? I don't really know. I guess we've looked suspect from balls over our full-backs in behind and our centre-backs haven't dealt very well with them. We've got away with it a little bit. Um, the midfield looks very unbalanced. We're missing Nick Powell. Uh, Vrancic has been tired and has missed a couple of games. We've lost a lot of control there. But to be honest, it's a mentality thing, I think, for me. Certainly some complacency and a lack of sharpness, you know. In our passing, it's very sloppy. And to to be losing from these winning positions is just, just absolutely ab- absurd. I know we've been playing good teams, but yesterday was like I say, a disgrace to be drawing in a game and and close to losing as well. And again, that we were in full control of. The manager and the and the team need to stop being so arrogant and see games out. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about the goalkeeper situation as well because Adam Davies had a clangor um, when Stoke played Bournemouth a week or two ago. And then Joe Bursick didn't cover himself in much glory for at least one of the goals here. So... Is is that becoming a bit of a problem position for Stoke? It is turning into a bit of a problem. Yeah, I think you're right. It, which is very, very rare at Stoke. We normally rely on our goalkeepers so heavily. I think, you know, apart from Jack Butland a couple of seasons ago, we've, we've relied on having a, an excellent goalkeeper, even if the defences look shaky. It's weird because, for example, Joe Bursick yesterday made an absolutely terrific one-on-one save against Kiefer Moore, which I think would have put them 1-0 up. And his his confidence looked to be high at that point. But yeah, they're, they're, they're making so many stupid decisions, both goalkeepers, Davis and Bursick. And it seems to be they're almost overthinking things. You know, reactionary, they're great. But when it comes to clearing a ball from the box or rushing out of goal or you know making a save from a long distance effort they're they're overthinking things and i wonder whether actually the rotation from the goalkeepers has actually made them lose a bit of confidence cheers ben i was keeping an eye on this game justin and when cardiff were 3-0 down i was just shaking my head in disbelief 
Cardiff would have become the second team ever to lose nine games in a row in championship history. But then they score three goals in five minutes. It was just a crazy game, wasn't it? Quite rightly crazy. Cardiff had no right to get back into the game. They were down and out. Um, I think Steve Morrison pointed out he was looking for reaction at half-time, obviously being 2-0 down. One minute into the second half, you've got Will Volks trying a 360, facing his own goal, losing the ball. And they're 3-0 down within the within the blink of an eye. It was it was, it was was like quite rightly, uh, as you say, a crazy, crazy game. Um, but, I mean, credit to Cardiff. They, As I said, they shouldn't have got back into that game. They did. They kept going. Their character to keep going after losing eight games on the trot was just absolutely incredible yeah fair play to him and um, fully deserved the, the the point yeah point shared but it's very cliche that you've got one team who feels like they've won and the other team feels <laughs> like they've lost and I think we've covered enough of Stoke with Ben there they've got a job turning themselves around at the moment but if you were a Cardiff fan then this is what you would have wanted coming out of this game wouldn't it a fresh sense of optimism Justin Yes, but I imagine at half time or, or a minute into the, you know, everyone's coming out after having a pie and a, a beer at half time. You, you come out and you see Stephen Fletcher lob Alex Smith as he's like, oh Christ, here we go again. Um, and the, all, all that optimism is just drained. But that five minute spell should give Cardiff, because there's quality in this side. You look at Ruben Colwell, Mark Harris's run for, for his goal as well was, was brilliant. Keith Moore looked, I mean, apart from that one on one he missed in the, in the first half. Took his chance well, got in the right position, um, left the defenders. Don't know why they weren't marking him, but he, he was in the right position, which is what you want him to be. And yeah, as you say, fresh optimism is after that that five ten minute spell and, and rest of the game after they scored the equaliser, they were they're in cruise control. Take that into the next game, they'll start to pick up points again. Mm. Shout out to young Ruben Colwell, who you just mentioned. He had a great game. We had a message from Tony Moore who asked, "How far will he go in the game?" based on performances like this, very far. I'm not sure why he wasn't playing more under Mick McCarthy, to be honest, because he, mm. in the last few games of last season, he was looking like a real talent, but yeah. didn't really feature much under McCarthy this season, which was very strange. But hopefully we'll see more of him now with Steve Morrison in charge and whoever the new manager is, maybe it is Morrison. Hopefully we see more of Colwell because he's someone I really rate highly. Pointed about at the start of the season, didn't I? I said he was one to watch. Um, so there you go, I do know some things. Uh, a 91st minute goal saw Forrest win a point away at QPR. Mark Warburton's boys going through a funny spell right now with just three wins from 10. Charlie Wise is from the QPR YouTube channel. Talking Rangers, Charlie, thoughts on the game? Oh, Forrest on Friday night. <laughs> what another... Bitter pill to swallow after an abysmal week of football for Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. To not come away from the three points from that one is a real kick in the teeth. Yes, you could argue, you know, Forrest were better in the first half. We were better in the second. We did take the goal. Uh, fantastic. We have individual brilliance from Albert Adoma setting up Lyndon Dykes to head home to take the lead. Right on the brink. Uh, at the conclusion of the first half, then QPR grew into it the second half. And then to concede another last minute goal that's now five last minute goals conceded from the last 10 games at the expense of five points for QPR you, know, you can read between the lines and look you know Forrest didn't have a midweek game QPR had another disappointing result to Peterborough on Saturday losing it late there some absolutely diabolical officiating cost us you know a cup exit and that sort of fatigue you know big injuries throughout the game so um, we need to get ourselves out of this rut because it's not looking good for the R's at the moment yeah, they're kind of in a state of flux at the moment, aren't they? And 
I, I know a lot of fans are expecting playoffs at the start of the season. I mean, you're eighth now, so that's still a very realistic possibility. But are some fans getting a bit nervous about how the recent performances have been? I think so. I think it's a valid point. When you mount together this disappointment from recent results and then a little bit of doubt creeps in and it starts to mount a little bit of pressure um, for Mark Warburton. But I think the big problem the big problem is is that we know what this squad is capable of. There's fantastic individuals in this squad and especially attacking wise as we've seen, you know, how many goals he scored and, and how good we've been in front of goal. But the problem is at the moment is these defensive cracks, these these lapses in confidence uh, across the back line that are allowing us to creep in too many goals. And that's quite frustrating for the squad because when you you break down our defence and you look at individual on an individual basis, there's fantastic talent there. But cohesively at the moment, it's just not quite working. There's people starting to doubt this five of the back formation that Warburton's employed for the last 12 months or so. For me personally, I would still stick with it. I think that's kind of been the catalyst for why we're in this position now. But, you know, when these results start to go this way, there is this this sort of doubt that's creeping in and the pressure, but I'm just hoping this rut can be eradicated. And you look, every side has a rut throughout a championship season, but it's how you come out of it. And I think there's enough self-belief to, to pull ourselves out of this and get back on track. Absolutely. Let's finish on a positive, Charlie. Lyndon Dykes got on the score sheet again and he's having quite a good season, isn't he? I'll tell you what, I really wish Lyndon Dykes brought the positivity that you just mentioned as uh, he walked away from the game limping in a boot. So we're not sure when we will see Lyndon Dykes return to the squad, but... Um, yeah, he's been a man in fantastic form this year. Six goals, two assists. He brings so much outside of those numbers and those goal contributions. His hold-up play is fantastic. His movement, um, how good he is in the air. He's, he's just a very well-rounded centre-half. And as now, we're starting to see these goal contributions. We're starting to see him win cu- crucial points for the Rs and, and get on the score sheet. So now it's, been, it's been fantastic to see his development as well on the international stage as well as domestically. And he's a fantastic player for this level. Just excited to see what you know what he can progress into because he's he's also so raw at the same time. Um, this you can you feel as though there's a lot still that Lyndon Dykes can bring to the game and and he can add to his game personally. So a fantastic sign of QPR that's that's luckily going so well. Thank you, Charlie. And he's right, isn't he? It's hard to pinpoint one reason why QPR are I wouldn't say struggling. I'd say just not meeting expectations right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very hard to put your finger on it. Um, they're not they're not playing poorly, but not playing well either. And I think I said it um, not too long ago that QPR have got to this point in the season now, and they've really got into they've really got into third gear. Um, they haven't really impressed impressed me yet. Um, and if they, they've definitely got gears to go, but they don't want to lose ground on that top six. They need to stamp their place. Um, so they've got to get performances out of players. I think getting the likes of Sanfield back into the side, having a bit more control in the game, you're able to dictate play a little bit because Jansen's not quite that player. He's a bit more of a ball winner. Um, so having personnel like that come back into the side will, will help massively. But yeah, they're, they're a very difficult side to predict at the minute. And um, I imagine it's a frustrating QPR fans quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. I thought they played well, in fairness. And mm. in many of the games they've not won, they probably did deserve to get more from it. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was a QPR fan. Uh, they're still eighth anyway, so I haven't got many concerns right now. Two tricky away games this week, though. One to watch out for there. Um, Justin, it's become a bit of a running thing now where we continuously question whether Forrest are actually a good side or not. And <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm still none the wiser. I don't know. I think I think they created some good opportunities um, throughout this game. Hard place to go on a Friday night as well. Very difficult place to go um, away at QPR. And um, I think 
it's a good reaction from that defeat to, to Fulham at the weekend for, for Steve Cooper and the players. Um, and they and they kept plugging away. They kept going. They kept going. And as I say, they're not going to keep walking over teams. But this was a this was a good point away from home. Equaliser in the last minute as well. Uh, and, and you've got players like Jack Colbert coming back into the side, who's looking a very handy player again. Um, so I think Steve Cooper's still got you know thing, uh, blocks to move through because um, you've got players to come back in. You've got players getting better. So yeah, definitely improving but as you quite say as quite rightly say not quite sure where they're at at the moment they're definitely improving it's not hard to improve on how they were doing on the Hewton at the start (laughs) of the season so they've obviously got a handful of players I really like Uh, Brennan Johnson in particular is just class (laughs) and Look, it's a good squad. Steve Cooper's a good manager, and I think he's still getting to grips with what his best side is. I don't think they were great here. I think they were very fortunate to escape with a point. Any other opinions on them that I've got, I'm withholding until a later date, because I'm still not sure what to make of this Forest side right now. Uh, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Bristol City finally winning at home. Back to the second tier podcast and Bristol City won a home game 277 days since they last got three points at Ashton Gate. It was the 26th of January here on the 30th of October. They beat Barnsley 2-1. For any neutrals who haven't seen the game, the scenes afterwards were... Well, I struggled to find the words, really. Nigel Pearson held his arms out to say, (laughs) thank God for that. And there was a lap of honour afterwards which some people may sneer at considering it is essentially just a home win um any thoughts on that justin considering you're a very cynical man no I, i'm actually i quite like it you, you got to think that fans haven't been in the ground for the whole season last season so they've not had the backing of supporters and, and and the players haven't been able to give give back to the supporters with a win so they finally get that to get that hoodoo off them um it's 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 a relief. You saw the weight just lift off Nigel Pearson. I imagine a lot of fans will ease the pressure on him a little bit, and he'll probably ease the pressure on himself. So I think that the lap of honour was a nice thing. As I say, they're not been able to give back to the fans for a while. Um, so doing that, quite rightly, do it. if they if they win the next game and do it, now they can get in the bin. That's not that's not. On. <laughs> well, we actually had a message from Matt Milkins, who's a Bristol City fan. He said, first win at home since COVID for Bristol City. That win meant a lot more than three points for some of us. And mm-hmm. yeah, when you put it like that, fans have been yeah. out of the grounds for a season. Many Bristol City fans can't go to away games. And this would have been the first time some of them have seen their team win in the flesh for more than a year and a half. So I can understand it in that respect. Leaving out all sentiment, though, looking at the game itself, this was probably Bristol City's worst home performance so far because Barnsley battered them. And with some of the chances they missed, it's incredible that Bristol City's winless run at home isn't still intact. Yeah, it's, it's, football's, football's a weird old game, isn't it? Because if you talk to someone who's completely alien to the sport... Um, and, and you discuss the things that make you happy. You know, getting three points, uh, a, home, a home three points, for example, make you happy. But the, the balance of the game um, is just if you're coming away from uh, as a Barnsley fan, you're infuriated because you're not being able to to, to pick anything up. And uh, we said it in our preview episode on Thursday how how bad the records were 
for for each side. So this game should have really ended in a draw. But Bristol City, as I say, you, you just buzzing to get that that win off win off your chest. Um, win off your chest. That's a new saying. Um, <laughs> Monkey yeah, off your you, bag. Yeah, exactly. You just you're just happy to to, to get rid of that uh, thing hanging over you, and um, they they won't mind how they won. I don't I don't think they will. Well, I've been sceptical about whether Barnsley have actually been getting better recently, as you've been saying, but this was one where they definitely deserve something. Unfortunately, though, expected goals doesn't win you points, and it's now seven losses on the bounce. Four points from safety, and Derby have nearly caught up with them, despite the points deduction. It must be said that it is quite surprising the Barnsley board haven't pulled the trigger, considering in recent history they've sacked other managers for a lot less. It's around about now, isn't it, where there's a change of manager at Barnsley in previous seasons when they have when they have decided to change. It's around about this stage in the season. So, you, as yeah, you're right in saying that it is a surprise. Um, I, they might see that these this improvement in the performances, um, they might see that as a positive. They might see things turning around the corner. But unfortunately, good performances don't win you points. Winning points wins your points. Um, and Barnsley haven't done that. Seven straight defeats. That's that's sackable for for any manager in this league. Doesn't matter who you are. So, do you think he's got to go now, or would you hold fire? I, it's it's impossible to to say because they're improving, but they're not pick, picking up points. Um, and they were so poor earlier on in the season. Um, he probably should have gone earlier on in the season. Simply put, it, it might it should have just gone down as a, as a bad appointment. But they've probably they probably put them the Barnsley board have probably put themselves in a position where they have to see it out for a couple of more games just to see where they get um, in terms of points but I, I, I would I would make a move now yeah well I, I'd agree I, I think if they sack him now then they could potentially get back into mid-table because he's a good side into going to the bloody playoffs last season <laughs> minus a couple of decent players but nonetheless still a good side but if this manager can't get points on the board then you're just going to be sinking without a trace I mean where are they now they're in the relegation zone, deep in the relegation zone, four points behind Cardiff, and Cardiff won't be there for much longer, I don't think. So it could be mm-hmm. even further off the pace if they don't sort something out now. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think the Barnsley board have to consider pulling the trigger, even though performances have been getting better. Um, Blackpool are now in the playoffs after beating Sheffield United 1 0. Keshi Anderson with a wonderful goal uh, late on. Shout out to the second tier betting for calling this new podcast out every Thursday and Mondays if there's midweek games. Uh, but Blackpool continue def- to defy expectations. Justin, they're they're a very good side, and, and this was um, this was a uh, steely performance from them away from it home. It was shit out of Yep, it was a it was a smash and grab. Um, but fair play to Blackpool. Um, you look at the balance of the sides, the, the two sides that, that came came up together here. They had no right to to take a one nil one nil win back to back to Bloomfield Road, and that's no disrespect to, to Blackpool, but it just goes to show that no matter what you spend. No matter how expensive your squad is, you've got to earn your right to, to play in this division. And Blackpool are doing that under Neil Critchley. They have been fantastic. And that goal from Anderson, I just love the guy so much. He's, he's such a good player. <laughs> yeah, you, you're getting quite obsessed with him. I might have to section it because <laughs> it's getting a, bit, getting a bit odd at this point. Uh, but Blackpool fans have had plenty of joy in reminding us that we had them to finish in the bottom three at the start of the season. And understandably so. <laughs> Even when their results began to pick up, my gut feeling was that they'd be in or around the relegation zone come May still. But it's becoming quickly apparent that that's not going to be the case. And 
people listening to us because they want to hear our thoughts on all things to do with the championship. It would be a very boring podcast if we didn't say which teams we thought were good Mm -hmm. and which ones we thought were bad. But we've been seemingly very wrong on Blackpool, haven't we? They just continue to outdo the expectations of ourselves and, to be fair to us, many other championship pundits. Now in the top six, I don't think they'll stay there. But they've proven us wrong on so many occasions so far this season that there's nothing to say they won't do it again. The one thing I've always said about Blackpool is, even when we predicted them to go down, um, Neil Critchley is a bloody good manager. Words can't do justice how good a job he's doing. Um, He's been absolutely cracking. And I just struggle to see them not going in the right direction as long as he's in charge. Yeah, you're quite right. And obviously Jane came on last week to um, to discuss Blackpool and... She she mentioned that Neil Critchley um, is a, is a future England manager in the making, and it's a, it's quite a statement to make now. But you look at where Southgate was ten or twelve years ago, he was managing Borough in the Championship, got sacked by Borough while they're in the Championship. So you know he displayed qualities then. I think Critchley's displaying those same qualities now. He can organise a side. They're playing four four two, which is quite rare now nowadays. But they're playing it with a bit more of a, a bit more of a swagger. You've seen against Sheffield United that they can be a bit more defensive as well uh, and hit teams on the counter so they've got the ability to mix it up and that's the mark of a good manager and a good side. Yeah, 100%. Quickly back on the game, Justin, and one thing that is predictable is Sheffield United being wasteful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I expect a little bit more, but you, you're absolutely right. They're wasteful, inconsistent, frustrating. Um, that shouldn't be the case with the talent that they have. We're going to keep saying that um, they should be higher up in the table. Um, I'm starting to think that Jukanovic is struggling to find his best side and a balance between attack and defence, which is, you know, they let they let, um, let two late goals in last week against Barnsley because he brought on two strikers, which probably should have been a bit more conservative. Struggled to manage the game here and struggled to break Blackpool down. A lot of criticisms headed uh, headed towards Sheffield United after this display. It wasn't, it wasn't the best. Yeah, it's disgraceful how wasteful they are considering they've got at least four strikers who in other teams would probably be contenders for, you mm. know, top scorer of the season. So yeah. it is just mental that they are throwing away as many chances as they get. Uh, Swansea 3, Peterborough nil. Three wins from four for Swansea. And it's quite apt. It's Halloween, Justin, because it's frightening how comfortable the Swans were here. Peterborough just kind of rolled over. Yeah, it's a, str- yeah, a strange one, really, that um, Peterborough didn't try and get in the faces a little bit more. But I think that's just the quality that Swansea have because on their day, they can be absolutely fantastic. And this was, as you say, com- complete domination from them. And if they can turn it on like this in most games, then they'll, teams will struggle to get near them because obviously they, they played Derby not too long ago. They were the best passing side I've seen um, play this season in, in person. They were, they were fantastic. Just struggled to create chances and score goals. They did that here against against Peterborough. They were fantastic. Um, so if they perform like that consistently, it's 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 playoff level football for me. But it's just getting it consistent. Um, and that's a challenge for Russell Martin. Jeremy on Twitter asks, are you going to slag Swansea off and say the win came as a result of poor opposition? I mean, you can only <laughs> face what you're up against. But Swansea did a good job of putting them away. Peterborough were fairly awful in this game. Um, but Swansea looking good getting better 
um, under Russell Martin. Peterborough managed just two shots all game and it is very disappointing when they've just won two on the bounce. And I'm looking at the bottom section of the table, Justin, and I can't tell if I've said this before or not. It sounds, sounds like something I've said before, but nonetheless, it's looking like there's going to be a very distinct bottom four this season, doesn't it? Cardiff are down mm-hmm. there, but I'm confident they'll get out of it. They're too good to be down there, really. You've got Peterborough, Barnsley, Hull and Derby. Three out of four of those teams haven't had a points deduction, but it seems they're doing their very best to give the other one as much chance as possible. Yeah, it's almost like they uh, they want that challenge, don't they, of uh, making it as hard as hard hard for themselves as, as they possibly can and taking it to the last day of the season, like um, like Wednesday, Rotherham and um, Wickham did last season with Derby. Yeah, yeah it's 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 frustrating that they. they they try and build up some consistency, consistency, Peterborough, and, and they just don't show up in this game here. This was uh, a game where they could have made their mark, but for some reason they just allowed Swansea to batter them, pretty much. Yeah, you're not wrong. And Emil Reese Jakobsen, worldie, helped Preston to a 2 0 win over Luton. What a strike that is, Justin. If I'm being slightly cynical, then I think maybe the keeper should have been doing better, but Jakobsen has hit that so cleanly, it's beautiful. It's it's a fantastic goal, but I'm questioning at the angle that he was. Why is he not squared it? I'm a team player. <laughs> I'm a team player. I'm not that. I'm not. To, I'm not one to chase the plaudits. I'd be fuming if I'm in that middle and he's not squared that. Can you imagine if it went over? Oh my goodness! Absolute oh, yeah. rage. You'd be, you'd be fuming, but it's it's one of them, isn't it? Where he's, he, put he's it had away. a crack and he's put it away. Uh, it's come completely out of nowhere as well. When I was watching um, the game. It's. I didn't realise it was coming, and if I, I would have been, you know, po- quite possibly just looking at my phone at that point, because it just looked like it was just gonna be a cross into the box or something. But he's just hit it, and it's uh, absolutely flown in. But to hit it that sweetly is is pretty phenomenal because he's gone across it, anti, and it's swerved in. It's so mm. good. Um, eases the pressure on Frankie McAvoy, who was not a popular man in Preston after that loss to Blackpool last week. Considering the games Preston have got this week, though, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back under pressure in seven days' time, it's got to be said. Um, probably the poorest I've seen Luton play in a while. They weren't actually that bad, but they've certainly been a lot better in recent times. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, completely fair. I think they, they struggled without Adebayo as well, that physical presence up front, hold on to the ball. Obviously, when you do create chances, he's always in the right position to either have, have a shot or, or, or put the ball in the back of it. So they struggled without him today today Saturday um, but yeah, as you say yeah it was a poor performance I mean it, it's a positive because this is the standards Luton have set themselves now um, whereas it wasn't a particularly bad performance but by their standards it was so I expect I expect Nathan Jones to get more out of them it was a shame really because I saw quite a few fans uh, had made the trip up to Preston which isn't an easy one from from Luton yeah, it's quite quite a track that isn't it mm. it's been a mixed weekend for Hull they're potentially about to be taken over which we will talk about shortly Justin that's got fans very excited what wasn't exciting was their 1-0 loss to Coventry four straight losses now for the Tigers but for the Sky Blues it keeps them sitting fourth only their second away win this season um, are you seeing any signs of Coventry stopping to fly high Justin stopping to fly high Stopping to fly high? Does that not make sense? Stopping to fly I high? I, yeah. yeah, it checks Stop. out. I, I don't know. My, my, my scrambled brain is not coping after you uh, gave me an absolute battering yesterday of a, a cardboard box, which was which was fun. <laughs> Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Kov are, are showing themselves to be uh, playoff contenders. I think you look at this performance wasn't particularly great. Had to grind it out at times. They've got a good rotation uh, of their of their of their forwards at the moment. Um, Gerkerez was in form a few weeks ago. Um, he's he's dropped off, but Gordon stepped up. So they've got the, that that those options to to rotate them um, in terms of putting chances away and and, and stuff like that. So. It's a, it's a good performance. It's another clean sheet as well, which I think goes under the radar for Coventry. They're very mean defensively. Um, so, yeah, in, in terms of slowing down for that playoff hunt, they're still up there. They're only five points off the top two. I'm not saying top two's a, a realistic target right now, but it's good to stay as close to, as close, as close to them as possible. Yeah, I don't think they've been as swashbuckling as they were earlier in the season, but they're still ticking over nicely, aren't they, and getting points mm. on board. And if you're doing that and not necessarily you know flying out the blocks then it's a good sign of a good side isn't it so yeah I'd see no reason why they can't continue to be as good as they are I mean Martson in particular is someone who's really stood out for me for Coventry he got an assist here and he's looking like a real real talent only 19 Mm -hmm. but he is a real real player on loan from Chelsea I mean who isn't on loan for Chelsea Um, (laughs) but he's proven to be a really good uh, left back at the moment Um, congratulations to Matt Gordon as well for scoring the lowest header ever practically lying on the ground by the time the ball is Mm. with him so a fair play to him for that Derby lost at home for the first time this season Blackburn beat them 2-1 Ben Brereton Diaz back in the goals Justin yeah he he was fantastic I mean it helped that Blackburn were so incisive in the first 45 minutes they they were quite scary obviously went to the game I thought it was going to be 4 or 5 nil um, to Blackburn you've got the likes of Dolan putting in balls to the back post and and, uh, BBD's just, just sat there waiting for them a very very good performance from Blackburn probably disappointed that they dropped off a little bit in the second half but I think they just tried to manage it out obviously Darby nearly got back into it but Ben Barrington Diaz what a player what a man he's yeah that that, that hair flying in the wind is uh, something it's quite a spectacle yeah glorious isn't it I imagine it smells really nice as well okay. the kind of hair that I imagine he's got some really fancy chilli and shampoo for um <laughs> Where were we? A pretty miserable game for Derby, wasn't it, until the last few minutes when they scored and had a couple of other chances as well after not creating anything practically all game. Mm. Derby without a win in five and could really do with getting three points on the board soon, considering points deduction, etc, etc. Blackburn, though, with two wins in two after just looking like they were going off the boil a bit. And finally, Huddersfield won, Millwall nil. Huddersfield scored with a set piece again. They've now scored as many from set pieces as they have from open play. They've also now snuck up to fifth somehow. Um, and finally, Bartosz Bielkowski wore a cap for this game. Good on him, because that doesn't happen enough for my liking. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Hull appear to be close to being taken over. According to the Hull Daily Mail, Turkish media mogul, I'm going to butcher this name, Akun Ilakali has agreed a £30 million fee for the club. There are said to be several obstacles to overcome before the takeover can be completed, but Ilakali plans to make the club consist of Turkish people. And if you're Grant McCann, that's not going to be music to your ears, is it? <laughs> I mean, if you're Grant McCann anyway, you probably should walk out of the job given your record. But I mean, it's exciting stuff. I think uh, I read somewhere that he, he's, he's he's a bit of a joker, um, the pr- prospective owner. So I think he said that in jest. It'd be quite impressive if you could find that many Turkish players to want to come and play in the championship. Um, 
but nonetheless, it is it's positive news to to Hall fans because they've been waiting for this for a long, long time. Yeah, Grant McCann is looking a bit like a bloke who knows his time is running out, and the thing is, he's not going to get sacked until this takeover is complete. So. At the, at the moment, they're just kind of just sailing along, not winning any games while uh, Grant McCann's in the dugout. Um, but a takeover, very positive news for Hull because obviously fans aren't very happy with the current ownership. Um, so a new owner, hopefully take him in the right direction, up the table, maybe back in the Premier League. It'll be very positive from their perspective. Um, we had a question from Joel from the To Hull and Back podcast. Do Hull stay up if the takeover happens? What do you think? It's interesting. Um, obviously, they have similar embargo um, to, to Derby, where they, they couldn't bring anyone in, in in January. I think Hull have got some good players, but time's running out for them. I think in terms of points, you look. You, you mentioned um, earlier on that you've got four teams down there battling out for for the bottom three or trying to stay out of the bottom three. I think Hull are going to stay in that category all season. Um, I don't think the players that they've got there are quite good enough. There are some bright sparks with Keane Lewis Potter, fantastic player, but there isn't too much to shout about. I don't think they're going to spend too much in, in January either. So I, I think they, they might stay up if they can pip one of the other um, four teams down there, but it's unlikely. Yeah, I think they'll be in a relegation battle all season. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think it all depends on when this takeover happens. It sounds like... Um, I'm not an expert on takeovers, but hopefully it won't take too long. And once that takeover happens, say it happens in a month or so, um, then there'd still be enough time for Hull to turn it around. Because I think they've got a squad capable of finishing lower mid-table. You know, Malik Wilkes, Lewis Potter, Honeyman, all very good players. Very, very good championship players, actually. I'd say top-half championship players, maybe. Um, But they're just not being used in the right way, are they? And Grant McCann mm. is clearly not the man to take them in the future. He's always struggled at championship level, really, hasn't he? Um, so I think it's only a matter of time before he goes. It depends who they get in. It sounds like it's going to be a Turkish manager from the sounds of it. Will he know enough <laughs> about the championship? Who knows? But they need a new, a new man in, in charge, don't they, with new ideas and getting the best out of the players involved. Because, as I say, I think the squad is definitely good enough to stay up. It's just the manager quite clearly at the moment, isn't good enough to keep them up. Um, moving on, Justin, Preston striker Emil Rhys Jakobsen has extended his contract at the club until 2025. Good news that he managed to seal it with an absolute screamer uh, this weekend and then also a penalty as well. Um, talk about him in general. What what? That's a big boost for Preston, isn't it? Because they've had trouble in the past with nailing down players to contracts. So getting someone like him, who is clearly a man in form at the moment, is massive mm. news for them, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it nails him down to a long-term deal. Preston have had, a, I guess, a, a bit of an issue in recent years in, in key players running down the contracts. Look at Ben Pearson and Ben Davis um, last season. Obviously, their value diminishes the longer that the contract or closer the contract goes to, to running out. So getting their, their top performer at the moment and a, a very good number nine tied down to a long-term deal is, is, is just beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. Sticking with Preston, Preston and Blackpool have been fined £5,000 each for failing to control their players in the West Lancashire derby last weekend. Plenty of handbags going about after a challenge on Sean Maguire by 
Callum Connolly. Um, there's been a right old back and forth between QPR and the local council over the club's plans for a new stadium. They're now looking for options outside the borough of Hammersmith and Fulham because the club say the authority have been unsupportive of a move to the site of the Linford Christie Stadium. Meanwhile, the council say QPR have not actually been in touch with any plans of substance for more than two years and also say they're willing to bend over backwards to help them find a new stadium. Um, I don't expect you to comment on the politics of it, Justin, but is it time for QPR to move on from uh, the current stadium? I, I will comment on the politics. I know that that statement from them was was a fib because councils lose everything. It took me ages to do my, my council tax because they said they didn't receive the form, and they did. That's my local council. So I know QPR did submit plans, allegedly. <laughs> Not accusing anyone of lying, but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect when we started recording today for you to have a rant about council tax, but carry on. Just saying. Right, okay. I, I'm going to bleep that again, Justin. Well done. You've now had two episodes now where you've been bleeped. Um, carry on. Um, what was the question, QPR moving grounds? Um, I mean, as a football purist, you want them to stay at uh, uh, the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium because it's it's an old, cosy, tight ground and it's uh, 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 I look back into the past um, but I guess if, if QPR are to make that next step like Brentford have uh, obviously Fulham have, have built a new stand um, themselves then then perhaps moving ground is, is the best thing to do for them yeah um, I think I saw the well one of the higher ups at QPR saying they won't be able to get a new stadium in the next 10 years because of where they are at now Um I mean, it's the problem with any club trying to get a new stadium into it. When you're in London, there aren't many free bits of land in London, are there really? So uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult. But I, I do like uh, the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium as a stadium. So it's going to be sad to see it go. But, you know, QPR, they've outgrown it really, haven't they? And it's yeah. probably it's time to move on. George Boyd has retired. He made 210 championship appearances, scoring 35 goals, getting 40 assists for Peterborough, Hall, Burnley, Wednesday and Forest, uh, also one failed eye test in there as well. Wonderful hair too. Um, Justin, what are your memories of George Boyd as a player? Being incredibly silky and, and begging Derby to put a bid in for him, and then and then, <laughs> and then the transfer to Forest comes about, and I'm absolutely bitter. And then it doesn't come about because he's failed an eye test, which is incredible. He's always worn glasses. It's never been a secret, has he? Like he's always been a spectacle wearer. I've always seen him wearing glasses in his his spare time. Um, so surely they knew that he didn't have 2020 fish at the end. Can we get on to um, his playing days, not his oh, right, yeah. wearing days? Very good player. Is that it? Okay, good. <laughs> um, he's a, he was an interesting player, wasn't he? Because when he was at Peterborough, he was, you know, this silky playmaker who, who mm-hmm. loved running past players and could uh, thread the ball through the eye of a needle. But then he went to Burnley and became this workhorse, didn't he? I think he was breaking records left, right and centre for the most uh, miles covered per game. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very interesting transformation, but he was a very good player. Um Good luck, George Boyd, with your future career. Um, finally, Justin, I thought I'd share this with the podcast. I've recently downloaded one of those apps where you record uh, you talking in your sleep. Can you guess which championship manager I mentioned in my sleep this week? Mick McCarthy. No, not Mick McCarthy. Have another oh. go. Still managing in uh, the championship now. Grant McCann. No, not Grant McCann. It was Michael O'Neill. I'll insert a clip of it right here. <laughs> Michael O'Neill. Onto that right now. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, I'll also include any future um, clips of me sleep talking about championship managers or players. So that's one to keep an eye out for for future episodes. Um, shall we do some polls, Justin? This is the part yeah. of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship at the moment. Um, so the first question we asked them was this. How many goals will Alexander Mitrovic get this season? Under 30, 30 to 35, 36 to 40 or 40 plus? I think the, the Football League record was, um, it was a guy Whittingham, wasn't it, for Portsmouth? It was a 42 I wouldn't be surprised if he gets close to that. I mean, the way he's going. What's he on now? 18. We're a third yeah. of the way into the season. Is it a third? It is the third, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A third of the way into the season. You're looking late 30s at the very least, aren't you? Yeah, I think Yeah, I think he could push it very, very close. And he's on penalties as well. He is on penalties and Fulham win a lot of penalties. Um, that's not me starting a conspiracy before the Fulham fans get in my Twitter mentions. Um, 52% of people said 30 to 35. 26% said under 30, which I think would be a spectacular downgrade, wouldn't it, if we managed to get under 30 from 18. Mm. Um, 36 to 40 got 15% and 40 plus got 7%. Can't rule it out, though, can you? Uh, next question. Will Blackpool get in the playoffs this season? Yes or no? I'm slowly becoming convinced by them. Um, I think, ask me again at the end of November. But I'll say at the minute, no, but ask me again at the end of November. Yeah, our listeners aren't very confident in the idea of Blackpool getting in the playoffs. 89% said no. 11% said yes. They may be Blackpool fans who voted for the yes there. And finally, what's better, standard Kit Kat or Kit Kat Chunky? It depends. I think it just depends. I always go for a Kit Kat Chunky, but the satisfaction of hacking into a Kit Kat, standard Kit Kat, love it. Like, I've, not, I've break, not breaking it man. apart. I've always been a Chunky man. Uh, and I've also enjoyed Kit Kat Chunkies. Um, <laughs> 71% of people said Kit Kat Chunky. 29% said standard Kit Kat. Um, the right answer, in my opinion. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel, Cherry's Red Army, and Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight championship clubs which don't have an animal in their badge, and Johnny were to say Fulham, that's one, one down, and John were to say QPR, that's another down. But if Justin would say Bristol City, like he did, then he'd be out. <laughs> so what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all all of you being eliminated. This week, we're doing one that I'm surprised it's taken me this long to do, if I'm quite honest. If there was a Mount Rushmore of championship icons, Neil Warnock would be the first name on there. This season with Middlesbrough could very well be his last. So to celebrate our Neil, can you name me the last eight clubs he managed before Middlesbrough? There are two clubs which come up twice. They only count as one. So the last eight different clubs he managed. We'll start off with you, John, since you weren't very confident before this. Can you name me a club Neil Warnock has managed before Middlesbrough? OK, well, the first one that comes to mind was Eagle Promotion with was Cardiff. Absolutely. He was there for three years and, of course, yeah. got them promoted. So that's one down. Johnny, we'll go to you next. Uh, I want to go... Queen's Park Rangers, and I think that was the one he managed twice, I believe. 
Yes, well, there's two. He managed twice. One of them was QPR. You're absolutely right. He had a caretaker spell there, and the other time he got them promoted. So that's two down. Justin? Um, I, I think I know his career quite well, so I'm, I'm a little bit confident, but I've done this before. I've said the completely wrong answer, so I'm going to go with an easy one and say Sheffield United. Absolutely right. Seven and a half years he had at Bramall Lane with one promotion to the Premier League under his belt. Uh, John, you'll go. Um... Yeah, QPR was the only other one that came to mind. Um, really struggling. I'm going to have to push you for an answer. Did he... To be fair, if you name a random club, you probably won't be too sure. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. That's not really true. I'm going I'm I'm to guess Birmingham. He hasn't managed Birmingham. That's incorrect. So John is out. That means it's down to Johnny and Justin. You've got... How many you got left? You've got three... Uh, no, three left. You're three down. You've got five left. Johnny, your go. See, I want to. I don't know if this is uh, Tony Pulis or Neil Warnock here, um, which are practically the same person, aren't they? Really? Um, <laughs> did they both manage Crystal Palace? Am I am I dreaming that? You're absolutely right. Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace was the yeah. other club where we had two spells. So yeah, hundred percent right. Justin, your go. Ah, uh, Rotherham. Good spell at Rotherham. Yeah, he was in charge for sixteen games and had an unbeaten run of eleven in that time. So yeah. That is absolutely correct. Right. You're now down to three left. And if I had to guess which three you'd be down to, I think it would have been these. Uh, Johnny, your go. Tough one, isn't it? Um, mm. I'm racking my brain. Who would he, who would he think, manage? Um, I'll, I'll give you Palace? this. Think Northern. Oh, Leeds United. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. For me, very easy to forget he was there for more than a year, but absolutely right. <laughs> Leeds, uh, that is correct. So you've got two left. Two of you are still in. The odds are in your favour at the moment, but these are two very tricky ones. Justin? I, th- I think I know who the last two are. Um, Ooh! I'll, I'll go with the, the hard one. Uh, I, were they a league club at the time? Scarborough? Scarborough's incorrect. So you've just shot yourself in the full head. <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> I, <couldn't have> <laughs> I, I think Scarborough were his first club. He definitely wasn't in his last state, though. So, Justin, you're out. So that means it's down to Johnny to try and guess the last two. Two. Oh fuck. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we've already said Sheffield United, haven't we? Um, yeah. So it's gonna be. It's gonna have to be prior to Sheffield United. So I don't even think I was born. I'll... Still northern, by the way. Yeah, I'm. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of teams in the northern area. No, um, I'll give you a clue. Manchester kind of area. Both of them. Ah, uh, so Both one of them will be Alden. Correct. He was there for just over a year. Yeah, Oldham is absolutely right. That means you've got one left. Johnny, can you get it? Right, so if it's Manchester vicinity, it's not going to be... Obviously, it's not the big clubs, is it? So, no disrespect to Neil. (laughs) Neil won't want to manage a big club. I'm going to go with Bury springing in mind. Bury, I mean, they were relegated, right, weren't they? Barry is correct. He was there for a year and a half at Barry. So you're absolutely spot on. I I could sense your nerves from here, Johnny. How do you feel after getting that? Good grief, mate. Good gr- I, I don't even know I've got that. Barry of all I just thought like the can't he can't have managed United or City. He couldn't have done like a and the only Salford. other Manchester clause thinking of was probably bury i think is that near it i don't even i think it is isn't it I yeah think it is. i think it's nearby yeah. i don't actually know where near it is but, uh, but congratulations on winning simon grayson's hateful eight john this is your first go at it how do you feel 
I'll take the reflected glory um, of that one. I got one, so that's something. It's a team effort at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to you, John, as well. And congratulations to Justin as well for uh, winning at Simon Grayson Tate for late this week. So that brings us to an end of the second tier podcast for this week. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about the midweek games in the championship that are coming up. Thank you to our guests who came on today. John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel, Cherry's Red Army. Thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Thank you for your time today. I feel like you should call the podcast a Neil Warnock historian podcast now, I think, just for after that answers. But thanks very much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dokes. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.